welcome to episode 76 of the Carrier's Edge podcast. I'm Jane Jez Rowie, and with me as always is... Mark Morrell. The other guy. And we are co-founders of Carrier's Edge and the best place to drive for, and yada, yada, yada. We are also the yada, yada, yada. We are the yada, yada. That needs to be a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. Oh, so much stuff has been going on. Yeah. I'm tired. Yes. I'm always tired. You are tired because you just arrived late last night back from Nashville. On an Air Canada flight that was, surprise, surprise, delayed. Yeah. Anybody who has travel plans that include... Air Canada? Well, the Pearson Airport in yeah, Toronto. Pearson. It is, as the kids would say, a gong show. Well, not for me. Like that, the airport experience was actually fine because I have Nexus. Um, I was not checking any bags and it was, and so security was like not really an issue. Except that your plane was delayed and when you arrived, you basically parked on the runway for a bit. No, when I was leaving, when I was leaving from Pearson, it was fine. Like I got through everything in about 20 minutes. Yeah. But I also arrived like three hours early. Yeah. As they they recommend. But when you come back, uh, your plane parked on the runway and waited for a bit. And then when you got to the gate, you did okay. Uh, Customs, you did okay there. But it's rough if you're getting picked up. If you park there, it's not (laughs) as bad. But if you're getting picked up, like people can't park. It's a flood of cars trying to get into the pickup area. And all of the roads in and out of the airport are lined with cars parked along the side waiting for all of their I guess, passengers to arrive or something, but it's yeah. crazy. Uh, and they still don't allow non-traveling people in t- inside the terminal. So you, there's like a cluster of people waiting in the parking garage and places like that. So they've just moved the throngs of people to different locations. They're not inside the terminal. They're still around. They're just clustered in all kinds of other spots. Yeah. And in Nashville, they were clustered everywhere. There's no restrictions. There's no masks. So it's a bit of a different, it's a whole different world. And yeah. they're just, I was just finding that there are just so many people and it was too close together and I was not super comfortable there. I assume that I probably have caught something. Mm. And, uh, yeah, but Nashville itself, I mean, just the tourist industry seems to just be happening. Like I, as I took the cab back from the airport or back from the hotel, there was music going, people all over the streets, like not a mask in sight. There were there are few here and there, but and no shortage of people. Oh no, throngs, throngs. Everybody of people. is eager to help the tourism industry get back on its feet until and flip to profitability. The next wave of whatever happens, but yeah, people want to get out. It is there. It is. It is definitely there, and we're the same. We mm-hmm. just kind of do it in a little bit different way. I don't think that either of us are going to want to travel for pleasure in the next couple of months. Mm, We're just going to do local stuff. We have a lot of local stuff that we're doing this year. Yes. So. So why were you in Nashville? Tell us about your travels, Jane. (laughs) My travels were to the R&R conference that's put on by Conversion Interactive in the U.S., basically a user group for for them. And a lot of recruiting focus. Uh, It's it's basically, well, recruiting recruiting show. Recruiting show. And they throw in retention stuff. So um, there is a little bit more retention stuff than the last time that I went. And one of the biggest takeaways that I got from it was that 
the industry is starting to have the same conversation that we have been having or we've been trying to have for the last 10 years, which is you have to communicate more with your drivers. You have to listen to your drivers. You know, it can't all, all be about the money. Uh, one of the, and so I did a presentation there and one of the, one of my points, and I did this in the, we did a webinar um, recently, a post Best Fleets. We did a re- webinar about the results and one of the things that I was talking about were the driver surveys and what they say and how drivers want to be paid for everything that they do. And that whole um, discussion about driver pay and guaranteed pay and getting paid for you know, what you do and getting paid for sitting and that kind of thing is becoming more of a conversation now than it ever has been. So it's really weird to hear people talk about guaranteed pay now in mm. just in general conversation because we've been talking about it for years and it's like, they think it's a whole new idea and it's like, no, it's not. <laughs> but Well, it's become mainstream. That's nice. Yes, it is. It, it, it is being implemented. Um, I think in a lot of companies it's being implemented poorly, mm. I think is, or clunkily is the nice Newly way to. Newly created word. Yeah. In a very clunky manner. Unsophisticated. Right. In an unsophisticated manner. So for example, um, I was in a session uh, with it was a company that does a sur- a driver survey in uh, in cooperation with Atri, the research institute, the transportation research institute in the U.S. that works with the American Tr- Trucking Associations. And their commentary about it was, well, the speaker said he doesn't like guaranteed pay. He doesn't think it's a thing. He thinks that guaranteed uh, a guaranteed minimum is is a better way to do it, which is absolutely true. Because mm-hmm. guaranteed pay is just kind of a fluff word that now people are attaching all kinds of other things to it, which is all of the conditions. Mm-hmm. So, trucking companies do do not dole out money to their drivers for nothing. No, and they don't want to manage their people to keep them productive and keep them moving. No. They want to dump all of that responsibility on the driver. Right. So guaranteed pay or guaranteed minimums come with a variety of conditions. And sometimes those conditions are quite long. And he was making a comment about that. And it's kind of like, you know, no good idea can go undestroyed. (laughs) It's, It's a great idea to do. But if all you do is you just make up rules that make it the driver's problem anyway, then you've completely sidelined yourself. Yeah, I go back to my favorite comment from a fleet. And this was a few years oh, ago. I know this one. I've probably mentioned it on this podcast yeah. before, but it's so awesome it bears repeating. Uh, the fleet was talking about their guaranteed pay program. And so I asked them for the details and they said, uh, yeah, we guarantee that if you run this many miles a week, you will make this much money. And I did the math and it was like, well, that's the number of miles times their base rate. So isn't that just how pay works anyway? <laughs> No, we guarantee if you work 40 hours at $20 an hour, you will make $800. Yep. That's how math works. Yes. Yeah. And that's also such a, like, that's not a welcoming thing. That's a, we think you're going to rip us off. Yeah. So we will only pay you for exactly the amount of hours that we know you worked. And there's that very antagonistic um, attitude is prevalent. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I'm sure that the people in the audience have that attitude. And I feel weird about saying, you know, you have to communicate better with drivers, blah, blah, blah. You know, the, the whole spiel that we always do, because I feel like, you know, 
aren't you doing that? Like, well, isn't that what does ha- that like- mean? Like, that's the question. And we say you have to communicate better with drivers, but then they say oh, they're already doing it, but it's what you're communicating. It's also, yeah, I say communication just like as a shorthand, but that's not what I, what I tell people when we're talking more details about best fleets. Good communication is asking your drivers questions rather than telling them things. Mm-hmm. Telling them if you have to give them information, that's great, but you should also be asking for the response. You should be interested in what their, how they perceive the company, how they perceive their job. It was one of the things that I was talking about yesterday was about career paths and drivers do not think there's career paths available. And there aren't in a lot of cases. There's very there's few very little career path options. It's something the industry hasn't done that much with. Well, in a lot of industries and in a lot of other types of jobs, there is a very clear career path. Yep. And so you don't need to make it up. In trucking, there isn't. So it's basically the career path is you are a driver for a really long time with the same company, hopefully, and you make lots of money because you get lots of miles. Or you buy more trucks and become a company owner or you become like you get bought and bought and bought and become part of a mega company. That's kind of that's it. That's the only thing that seems to be normal. But it's not like that anymore. You can't just drive and get the miles. Like that mm-hmm. isn't like that's why the pay isn't working for people. You cannot get the miles because of congestion, of shippers, of supply chain issues. And no one is really saying you cannot get the miles. Why are you basing pay on miles that drivers cannot achieve? Mm-hmm. Doesn't make any sense. But the industry is so stuck in miles, miles, miles. And, you know, how do we make the miles better? And like, really? The job is not about miles. The job is delivering something from point A to point B. And there's going to be a cost to that. It should not be based on the miles. It should be based on how difficult it is to get from point A to point B, what the wait times are. It shouldn't like the whole costing thing should not be based on how far away it is. Because how far away doesn't make any difference if you are stuck in traffic for half of the time. Yeah, they have to look at the total cost. 50 miles can take you four hours. So it's, it's crazy. And yeah, they don't look at the cost of the shipment. But the problem is, is that you can't, that is a huge change to the industry in an industry that doesn't want any change. Yeah. So um, one of my favorite or the fa- my favorite thing about the conference was the first keynote speaker, which I've told you about mm-hmm. um, already because I came home at 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock last night. And that was kind of what I talked about. And I, I thought he was really, really super interesting. But I also thought it was very interesting that I didn't know how much the audience who, who really are recruiting professionals, who are not the people who have much of a voice in a lot of the companies that they work for. They're, they are there to find drivers and get those drivers in. And hopefully they're going to be there for a while. But they don't, A lot of them, I don't think, have any input into major decisions that actually affect their jobs. Like operations and safety programs and work-life balance, all of those kind of things. You know, they don't, they can only report the routes that drivers might get. Mm. They can't, can they? Can't change them. Can they change them? Do, do, Do the planners want to know what the recruiters think? I don't know. Well, to a certain extent, a recruiter's job is to... Find a person. It's a sales job. It's to sell the position that's available. Right. Right. So the company has decided these are the routes that we're running. These are the hours that people need to be available. This is the equipment we're using. 
The recruiter's job is to find the right person for that position. And if they do it well, then they find the right person and that person sticks around and has success. And if they don't do it well, then that person leaves and they need to go and find more. Right. So when you're at a conference that's about recruiting solutions, like why bother having the conference? If nobody can make a change to the actual, the actual problem, then why have a conference? Well, I guess you the... really just sorry, I'm yeah. going to interrupt because really, what are you doing? You're just talking about the problem that you like. Everybody's mm-hmm. talking about communication, blah, 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 blah. But they're not talking about any solutions. So, uh, you know, if you if you're a, a recruiter, if you're not even the director of recruiting, you're just a recruiter, then going and listening to all of these people talk about, you know, you know, like me saying, you know, drivers want all their time compensated. What is what is a frontline recruiter going to do? Go back and say the, to the boss, you know, you know what Jade said? She said that you should pay drivers for all their time. Well, I think that's why your session would have probably been a smaller audience that was more of the senior people who are able to go back and say, here are some ideas for us to consider. The junior recruiter types that go to these conferences, they're going for education, for industry learning. So they're going to the sessions that are going to teach them best practices or tips on how to recruit more efficiently. And there's a lot of actionable things that I recall coming out of that conference every year. And it is things like best practices for handling applications and dealing with inbound calls versus email versus recruiting on social media and like that kind of tactical recruiting approach. So there is some value in that. Um, But yeah, it it isn't necessarily going to solve the major problem, but I don't know that it is trying to. It is really, here's the problem. We're not going to solve the problem. So here's how we can make the best of it. Or here are some tips for dealing with it. You know, it's a Kleenex kind of conference. It, It helps you with the symptom rather than the problem. But at the same time, they had some really good keynote speakers. Yeah. Who were talking about... Exactly what I was talking about is you have to have better communication. And yes, there's a, a whole slew of things that go into communication. But that was like the number one thing is you have to have communication. So well, maybe they're shifting the focus of it. Maybe, but the audience is still not The audience there. will always lag that. But if they're shifting the focus, that could be very positive. That could be Well, it's definitely definitely a lot more on the retention side Hmm. than it used to be. It used to be very much on the recruiting side, which was, you know, how do we get more people in? Now it's a little bit more on the how do we get people to stay, which is, you know, I think that's a positive thing. And I and I think the ATA and slash ATRI, I think they're looking at that, too. Like, how do we keep people in the industry so we aren't just, you know, losing them? Uh, What do you call it when you just lose? Yeah, just tons of attrition of everybody leaving. Which is what's happening. Like mm-hmm. people are doing that in every industry, but this industry in particular didn't have a whole lot to play with at the beginning. So now mm-hmm. they're in a crunch. The futurist that. Yes, tell us about this speaker that we know you're very excited about. Yeah, and I'll say that I asked a question. So that tells you how much Ooh. I was interested. I know. I don't ask questions. Were there a lot. other questions? Like, were you the only question? Um, no, no, there were a few. Okay. Um, now, what were the other questions? I can't okay, remember. That's fine. Like sometimes you go to these things and they have a Q&A and there's like one question. And then the other ones are obviously plants. No, there weren't plants. No, I, I think people were asking. I think there was a questions about autonomous vehicles, um, of course. And um, 
there was kind of a trucking company owner who was talking about how he can't do anything, hmm. which was, you know, kind normal. of normal. Um, and, but my question was, was talking about, you know, you're looking at the future and you're looking at all this technology and what do you, do you think about unintended consequences? And I said, you know, Facebook was a great technology at the time, you know, back when it started and we all thought it was kind of cool, but it has had all of these unintended consequences. Like, do you, when you are doing your futurism, and I'll tell you what that means in a, in a minute, and that's not the word that I should use, but that's the word I'm using. When you think about that, do you think of that? Because, you know, would you have had the concern about Facebook being able to shift so many opinions in ways that are negative, mm -hmm. which is basically what Facebook tends to do, like with all the all the robot trolls and things like yeah. that. You can really start influencing and nobody influencers was not a word. It should not be a word. 15 still. years ago. It still shouldn't. Be. I know you it's hate not that a job. word. Yes. I have a whole rant about how Instagram should not exist. There's no societal benefit to it. Well, this uh the futurist who um, I was talking about, his name is... Uh, his name is Nick Badminton. Thank you. I was yeah. thinking, I wanted to so say... now you can look up again. Yeah, all right. So his name is Nick Badminton, and he was talking about... He's not a predictor of the future, but what he does is he looks for signals and then trends, and then he tries to put all those trends into scenarios, and then he sort of has future future situations that he considers and that's kind of how it goes so he starts with the signals where you know what's happening in the industry where do those where could those things go and those signals are around us and what i thought was really interesting about it and why it kind of caught my attention really really quickly was that that's what we do yep. we get a lot of signals from just talking to so many different companies every single year and you read the news and you like the trucking news and you sort of kind of keep your ear out and you start to really get the sense that, hey, this is happening. This is a shift. And we talk about it years before anybody else is really concerned about it. So mm -hmm. like guaranteed pay, we've been talking about it for ages. Now it's a thing, mm -hmm. um, which I think for anybody who's in the program, it's real. that's one of the real value adds for free. You can go through this process and get a sense of what might be coming down the line. Yeah. Just, yeah, for just sure. from going through that process and just com from coming from the questions that we ask. Mm -hmm. So I was really interested in that. But he also was talking about, he did this sort of questionnaire. Uh, there were these five questions where um, the answer, and it was a what if scenario. And he had five different situations and he was looking at, we had three responses that we could choose from. And one was mostly a technical response. So everything that the technology industry would completely salivate over. So, you know, everything's going to be automated and, you know, we're going to have all of these intricate systems and blah, blah, blah. That was the first answer. The second answer was more of a people and technology combined answer. And then the other one was, let's not change anything. Hmm. So I thought that was very interesting. And there were a lot of places where I, I had a feeling it, it wasn't so much that one of those things was going to happen, but that there was a pull between the technology side and the traditional side. So hang on a second. You said there was a survey. Did he ask 
like put this question out and ask people what they would choose or what they thought was going to happen? Yeah, it was a Google Forms thing. So we all logged oh, okay. into it and then we had those questions. And so what were the responses? Well, How did it break down? Well, I don't know. He didn't give us like we we just sort of submitted what we thought. Right. He hasn't given us a summary or anything okay. like that. So he is going to give us a summary because okay. we I were see. talking about, you know, he was just doing a show of hands kind of thing. Right. I'm just curious if there was was it an even split? I would guess that this audience probably was in that either second or third of either. Yeah. Don't change anything or have a bit of tech, but keep the people. Exactly. Right. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. And in a couple of weeks when we're at the Collision Conference, it'll all be, let's do all tech and a few people will be tech plus people. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, and that's when I was thinking, but you know, if you think that all of this tech is going to show up, have you thought, and great, that's probably true because mm-hmm. Amazon and all of these, and you know, Tesla and all of these other companies are beholden to shareholders and they need to get keep their stock prices up. And so they're going to be continuing to innovate, quote unquote, innovate and introduce more and more automation. That's mm-hmm. their that's their whole MO. That's yeah, what they're there to do. Yeah. And on the other hand, then you have the traditional companies who don't want to do that. So my thinking was, okay, we can have little what if scenarios and go, okay, is it going to be tech all the time or is it going to be somewhere in the middle? It's probably going to be somewhere in the middle. But what he didn't mention was what is going to happen with all this tech? Mm -hmm. Like what is it? How is this going to affect people? Because I know that technology is affecting people in the trucking industry now in not a great way. Yeah. So what happens when there's more of it? Exactly. Right. And that was why I asked the question and he um, responded with, I am writing a book or I am going to have a book published in uh, later, I think November, he said. So I was like, well, I will buy the book because. So he, he didn't have an answer right now. He didn't even give you a teaser for it. He said, I'm going to write a book about that. No, he said that there's um, a way of looking that his book is going to be looking at the the positive side of this and the dystopian side of it. Hmm. So he wants to acknowledge like what all the bad things that could possibly happen with any of the uh, any whatever scenarios he comes up with. And but he's also going to look at the positive because there are positives with technology. You Hmm. can't I mean, being able to order things online is a positive for me. I know that it causes other people's strife, but I like it. Yeah, it's a better experience for the customer. And the unintended consequences are retail stores competing with Amazon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, malls sitting empty, but okay. Well, I am careful about who I order from online. I, d- I decide who I'm going to give my money to and I don't give it to Amazon. Mm. If I can find a local retailer or someone in Canada, I if I can do it locally, that's great. If I can do it in Ontario, okay. If I can do it in Canada, great. If I have to go to the States, I'd rather not. So Mm. that's kind of how I determine what I'm doing. But that's not so easy to order from Amazon. Just so easy that I imagine that most of the population is just doing it. But a great example of unintended consequences, they made it so easy, not just for customers, but they make it so easy for people to sell their products there. They're flooded with fraud. They're they're Mm -hmm. flooded with knockoffs and copycats and Uh, fakes and all kinds of things because they didn't really consider the unintended consequences. 
And that isn't a priority for them. No, it is not. And this this concerns me that technology is allowed to run amok. Yeah, we, we spend a lot of time thinking about all of that with our product and mm-hmm. how we build things and how is it going to work for people and what's, you know, what is it replacing and how do you balance the old ways and the new ways. And it is definitely concerning to see that you know, so many other bits of technology aren't doing that or maybe they're thinking about it, but they're not realizing the scope of the problem. There's a lot of sales first. Yeah. And it's, you know, we got funding, so we have to make as many sales as possible in as many ways as possible. It doesn't matter what the quality, you know, quality be damned. Well, it's interesting that he was kind of aware of that. And I mean, he's far enough ahead that he's got a book that's nearly ready to be published. But this was one of the things that we talked about in past episodes. It Mm -hmm. was a real eye-opening observation from the driver survey this year in the Best Fleets program is the, uh, the feeling of drivers that there's too much tech and not enough personality or not enough human connection anymore. So their fleets are going a little bit too fast uh, and too far with the tech and need to balance that with some of the things they're doing in person. So it's obviously not just in trucking that that's happening. It's happening across society at large with technology if he's writing a book about it, because he's not writing a book about trucking industry. He's writing a book about technology in general as mm-hmm. part of our society. I was talking to him at the airport because he happens to be on my flight and we he recognized me because I asked a question and I sort of sort of thought he was familiar, but he was wearing a mask and so was I. So we were sort of. I don't know. I just happened to go stand next to him and it was and I asked him a different question and he was like and so he answered it. And because he had a British accent, I was like, oh, I know you. Were you speaking to you today? And he's like, yeah. Were you asking a question? So, um, oh, he told we were talking about, um, you know, becoming a futurist and how that happened and the kinds of things that he talks about. And he said he talks about um, he talks to audiences of very traditional workers um, he does mining. He, he's talked to groups. Uh, he probably was at that miners conference mm. a couple of years ago that had all the COVID cases that <laughs> came out of it because he said he had COVID too. Um, and he's talking to trucking. This is his first time talking to trucking. But you could tell that he, he understands the, you know, that whole traditional focus where, you know, we don't want any change and all this change is happening to us and things like that. So I think that's informing what he's writing about later on. It was the first time in a trucking conference where a non-trucking person was there that it sounded like he knew what he was talking about (laughs) in terms of trucking. Yeah, there's so many of them that come in and they make a few pithy statements at the beginning about Mm -hmm. how important the industry is or some connection they had with a truck driver five years ago, and then they just go into their standard speech. Yeah. So that's why I thought that he was, that he'd done it before because the next speaker was a, (laughs) it's funny. He had sold um, pools Hmm. and all of his examples were about pools. And I was like, okay, well, he's not from trucking. (laughs) He's, he's basically got you know, his business book or whatever that all That's pretty typical is yeah. they have the book that they're pitching and they're telling stories and summaries from the book. And uh, it might a little bit kind of relate to some of the things that are topics at the conference, but not really that much. And the book is for sale in the lobby. Well, I don't think that they did that, but it was that kind of thing. He actually, he had a good... Um, some of his points were really good, but 
just in that whole, you know, I know what trucking's problems are. He or I, I know your industry. Yeah, he, he didn't really know. That's the pool guy. He was the pool guy. Yeah, Nick, Nick, the futurist was very good. Yes, the pool guy. I don't even know his name. So there was something that you told me last night that really stuck with me about his uh, Nick, the Futurist's presentation. <laughs> That's who he is, Nick the Futurist. Future Nick, let's call him that. <laughs> uh, I really was struck by the thing that you said about Amazon. Uh, I think you said they, they have a patent for a blimp mm-hmm. that is going to contain a whole pile of drones for package delivery. Mm-hmm. And that just... Like, it's so obvious, but it also kind of blew my mind that they're basically putting a distribution center in the sky. In the air, I know. And I thought, oh, that is disruptive. I mean, we know that drones are going to disrupt the transportation industry massively, but if the drone doesn't leave from a traditional ground-based distribution center, if it's being dispersed from a blimp that's floating overhead, it's basically Independence Day where you've got this giant thing that floats around and then an army of drones come out, do their package delivery, then head back to the mothership and the mothership moves on to the next location. Well, there's so many things that the fact that he, they have a patent for it, like they mm. haven't done it yet, but they have a patent where they're, they're planning on it. Yeah. What I thought was interesting was in the whole drone concept. Okay. So now you made me think of something else. So I think I can totally see Trucking companies, if they're if they want to kind of figure out what to do in the future, is turn themselves from driving a vehicle to driving a drone, Hmm. like operating a drone and operating a vehicle. So many younger people are, you know, video game type Mm -hmm. controlling and like how how cool would it be to operate a drone, like operate packaged drones like that is going to be a job. So all of the people who are now truck drivers could could like sort of move into that over the next 25 years. That's what they need is even more people leaving the industry. But it wouldn't be leaving the industry because you're still in transportation. But what kind of transportation just because trucking industry, they'd be leaving the trucking industry to move into the air freight delivery business. I don't see why that's that's such a big risk to trucking. Only if you think that. I mean, if you... Well, if you operate, if you own a company that operates 100 trucks and you have a bunch of people that have left to go fly drones, your trucks are sitting empty. But what if you fly drones? That is... It's still logistics. It is not going to happen, though. Because the basics of the innovator's dilemma and the disruptor is that the disruptor comes in with an entirely different value network. And they service different customers. They service them differently. They have different operational constraints and opportunities. They do things totally differently. So you've got an entire industry that is based around putting 80,000 pounds of freight uh, on a trailer and Mm -hmm. moving it down a highway. A drone that's moving 50 pounds of freight in the air is a whole different business model, a whole different mindset. You don't necessarily need that terminal on the outskirts of town by the highway you're better off to have your your drone launch pad downtown where the most concentration of people is. I guess what I see happening, and I don't think it needs to be, a, let's take this away from the trucking industry and give it to, I don't know, drones. It doesn't have to be though. And I don't think it will. I think it's going to be a shift and I think it's going to be gradual. Yeah, I would agree that it's going to be a gradual shift. People who are already in logistics, 
and who are younger are going to see the prospects here and are going to go, hey, wait, what if I have, what if I operate? I don't know how it's going to work, but let's say, what if I operate a couple of drones for, you know, for last mile? Mm-hmm. Let's see how that goes. And then maybe I can do some deliveries for Amazon because Amazon is not going to be able to handle everything. They can't right. handle everything on their own now. So that will happen for sure where they start subcontracting mm-hmm. to drone drone logistics companies. Right. So yeah. become a drone logistic company or at least play with the idea. And that's why you see UPS and DHL experimenting with drone deliveries. And those people who are experimenting right now are not going to necessarily be at UPS and DHL forever. Mm -hmm. They're going to go off and start their own companies, especially if they're successful and they like the tech and all that stuff. And that's where traditional trucking can start keeping an eye out for what these tech companies are doing. Hmm. And I would not, and I would stay away from the autonomous vehicle thing. The autonomous vehicle, you know, Freightliner and um, Volvo and all of those trucks they're they're coming out with their hybrid lines and their electric yeah. vehicles. That's going to happen. You yeah. don't need the to autonomous w- truck is not going to hurt anybody. It's not going to change trucking. No. Well, it's going to change the job a little. A little bit, but it's not going to fundamentally change. It's no. still the same thing. Still truck going down the highway with freight. Exactly. It, what the real and I agree with you. The real disruptor is going to be drones. Is going to be that delivery facility from the sky. But because I tend to go to how it affects people more than you do, you tend to look at the tech itself and I look more at the, you know, what's going to happen socially. I was like, whose backyard <laughs> is yep. going to be, yeah. where is this drone going to park? Yeah. Where is that blimp going to be parked? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry, you, uh, not the drone. Where's yeah, the blimp going to be parked? I think that is a great observation. And Yeah, you nailed it. It's not going to be sitting over top of the rich people's houses. It's not going to be in this neighborhood. Yeah, it's not going to be sitting (laughs) over top of the, uh, you know, the white politicians. And you think about it, the blocking out the sun. Hmm. We are blocking out the sun now. Depends how big the blimp is. But yeah, there is a possibility of that. There is a uh, absolutely it will block out the sun for a certain period of time, at least for a certain geographical area. So is there going to be regulation that happens because of that? Or is are all the governments just going to ignore it because it's big tech and they're too powerful and they're too smart? And they've funded too many campaigns. And will they have a what if exercise? No. Yeah, <laughs> you already okay. know the answer to that one. <laughs> Come on, let's be reasonable. Now, I think their what if exercise is going to be what happens when people start shooting at our blimp. Oh, there's that too. Or what if people... Shoot us. Or what if people don't want to elect us? I think that's pretty much all they seem to well, care that's about. that's the election. That's the government. You know, they'd be worried about that. But Amazon, their what if scenario is going to be what if people active start shooters, shooting. Yeah. yeah. What if they start shooting at our blimps? Although active shooter makes a really good point. I would bet you that there's part of their argument that is we'll have less problems with active shooters in our distribution centers and warehouses if the thing, thing is in the sky and has no people. Yeah, if they're at 10,000 feet. Or even 5,000 feet, they're not going to... You're probably safe. Yeah. So you'd have to get an enemy drone and start attacking the good drone. Oh, Mm -hmm. my God. It becomes a weird Battlestar Galactica. Well, I think we can see where the next season of Black Mirror is headed. (laughs) Well, that was funny. He mentioned Black Mirror and it didn't make me dislike him or it didn't make him like I did. It didn't make me like him any less when he mentioned that. I was like, okay, we like the same TV. 
So when I saw him in the airport afterwards, I was like, oh my God, I wanted to meet you. And he's going to collision. Jane had a lot of fanboy crush on this guy. I did. I did. She was quite excited when I picked her up from the airport. (laughs) Well, it's so unusual for me to have... Now, before you finish that, remember how many of your partners and customers and industry colleagues listen to this podcast. No, no, no. It's so unusual for me to be like really mentally like kind of challenged and stimulated and that kind of thing. It's, it's unusual. There are times, there are a lot of times when you're mentally challenged. This is true, but. You walked right into that one. I yeah. had no choice. Yeah. Okay. I just, I just really enjoyed it. I, yeah, that's you know, great. so. I look forward to seeing him at Collision. That should be great. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> this is weird because I was looking at him going, I know this guy. I wonder if I've heard him speak before. This is when he first started talking and I asked him when we were in the airport, I was like, you know, what, have you done other trucking things? And he's like, so he started listing off things and I'm like, no, no, no. And he said, no, no, I'm on CTV. And I was like, wait a minute, you do the morning show? It's like, yeah, I've been on, and I'm like with Anna Marie, uh, Anna Marie and, oh God. Yeah, that's her name. Anna Marie. I want to always say Anna Maria Tremonti, who's a CBC person. And uh, he's like, yeah. And I was like, okay. That's where I know you from, because we watch that morning show all the time. Yep. And uh, and then you were like, oh, yeah, it's the guy with the weird background. Yes. He always has a strange. He always has a very stylized background to his Zoom appearances mm-hmm. so that he looks like he's a futurist. He is a futurist. But he has to look the part as well. Yes. So. Oh. Very good. Okay. Well, you mentioned Collision and the next episode of our podcast will be right at the end of it. So we'll have lots to talk about there, about the future of tech and what's happening Mm -hmm. in the world. But we've got a couple minutes to talk about what's happening between now and then. And one of the things, well, one of the major things for us that's happening in the next few weeks is that we are doing our first in-person staff meeting since the pandemic. 2018, you said. Uh, 2019. The fall of 2019 was the last time we did one. And we have a whole pile of people that have never met each other. So mm-hmm. I'm very excited about that. We're bringing everybody into town for a full day event. And it's really expensive now because we have a lot more people. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be like the craziest hotel bill I've yeah. ever paid. But I'm very much looking forward to it. And two of the activities that we have scheduled for that day are going to be a lot of fun, I think. One of them is an Ask Mark and Jane Anything where people can submit their questions in advance and we will answer them. I'm very curious to see what kind of questions they ask us. The stipulation is that it not be basic work stuff. It can't just be, when do you want a draft of this? Or (laughs) how are we going to solve this bug? You know, it can't be those kind of questions. It has to be more fun stuff. So that I'm kind of looking forward to. I'm curious to see what people come up with. Uh, The second thing is something that we're referring to as Notes Day, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a project where... You get people to envision a point in time in the future where things are dramatically better in one way or another. And if you have specific metrics that you can use, that works. But for us, I just started with a, a, imagine a, it's a year from now, it's July of 2023, and your department is humming along really nicely and everything is 20% more efficient than it was a year earlier. And I picked 20% because it's meaningful, but not crazy. And so then the exercise is what change to make that happen? So you start with that um, point where it has happened and you kind of reverse engineer Mm -hmm. what needed to change to get there rather than saying, if we did this, you know, what things would you like to change and how much change do you think that would, or how much benefit would that make? 
So by having people start with that sort of success point in the future and working backwards, uh, apparently you have better results that way. So we've asked people that question. And first step is for them all to submit their ideas of things that would need to change. And then once we get together at the meeting, we break off into groups and we tackle those different things and see how we can make them happen. You know, I think that's a really good way to describe Best Fleets as well, is imagine that your company is, you know, imagine that you have a great, pro, a great safety program. What, hmm. what happened to make that happen? Yeah, what changed to get you there? Yeah, I think that would be a really good webinar. I think it would be a very good one. Envision a situation two years from now where your... Where your safety scores are... Or your turnover is 20% or 30%, you know, or half of what it is now. Your turnover is half of what it is now. What changed to get you there? And the obvious answer is, well, drivers stopped leaving. Okay, but why? Yeah, why did they stop? What changed to get them to stop leaving? Yeah, and if you don't know, then you have your own answer already. But in our case, I think it's going to be very interesting to see what kind of things people come up with. And and the value of the exercise is you get the people that are directly involved every day going through that and saying, well, this is the thing that bogs me down. So, you know, this would need to change. If we were 20% uh, better, it would be because this got better or I had a new tool or something was different about the process. So you collect all of that information from the people that are directly in the field right at at that sort of ground level there. And then you can compile that and decide how you're going to prioritize it from there. Yes, the ideas are coming from them. So they're more interested in, in, you know, if it's your idea and it's adopted, it's, Mm -hmm. you know, much more interesting to to work on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's a lot of um, possibilities in that whole what if. Yeah. How did we get here? that kind of approach. So I'm very curious to see what uh, people say. At the same time, we are just wrapping up another one of our employee survey Mm -hmm. projects where we have our outside HR consultant survey everybody and see what they think and sort of the good and bad from there. So we've got a lot of different feedback bits that we're going to be reviewing at this all hands meeting. And at the same time, we have to leave space for people to chit chat. Yeah. Have lunch. (laughs) I'm not going to use the word network, but it's not they're really not that. Gonna network, but it's hanging they're gonna out. Get to, yeah, they're hanging out. They get to know each other. Yeah, they've they finally got faces. Well, they have faces already, but they finally got a, a live body mm-hmm. to go with the virtual person. So we want to have a lot of time for that. And it's you know, Zoom gives you a sort of false sense of perspective yeah. on you know what people look like, and <laughs> and yeah. you know, everybody's the same size in Zoom. So, or on Slack, everybody is, you know. Everybody's their headshot. Yeah. And so you meet people and they're little or they're, you know, they're tall tall or, you know, they have a different shape to them that you kind of envisioned. And it's, it's, um, it gives you, Zoom is very two-dimensional. And when you meet people, you have a more three-dimensional, not just that they're, they're solid, but it's a three-dimensional view of their personality, their, like everything about them. So even if we didn't do these exercises, even if all we did was basically, I don't know, go to Wonderland and, and hang around all day with each other, we'd probably, it would benefit us. Well, that's the, the challenge. Uh, and part of what I'm 
trying to stay on top of as I put the agenda together for this is I don't want to have it so formalized and regimented that people like don't have that opportunity for the personal bonding. But at the same time, I want to have enough meaningful stuff that people say, yeah, it was worth making the trip into town and giving up a good chunk of my week to attend this thing so that uh, I got something out of it rather mm-hmm. than just, well, you know, they, they flew me into town and I spent, uh, spent a day there and really all we did is hang out and chit chat. You know, couldn't yeah. we have just done that virtually? Well, no, there Not is really. very much value to doing it in person, but you have to have kind of a foundation to build on. You have to have an activity that you're doing. Like yeah, you framework. just gave the example of going to Wonderland. That actually wouldn't be bad because then you're doing something together. You've got that uh, that framework to build on top of. So you're just hanging out in a conference room all day. Yeah, everybody comes and we sit in this meeting room and that's it. Yeah, and we all we all bring our laptops and work. Yeah. <laughs> Although, you know what? That would actually be interesting. That would be cool too, because then it would be that one kind of experience of everybody being in an office. Like there is a little tiny bit of value of everybody being in the office and that you get to see how other people work. And if you have a question, you just shout across to them and say, hey, how, how should we do this? There is definitely some communication benefit to that. I think in general, the negatives outweigh the positives and we can offset those. We can achieve those um, those those same uh, Objectives and outcomes by doing it, doing the other things that we do. I just think of all of the people who have, you know, 12 monitors and Mm -hmm. how they would, how it would work in a, I know what it would look like in an office because it reminds me of when I did work in offices with people who had multiple monitors, but everybody talks about their monitor setup, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I wonder if we would just all be kind of in monitor cubicles. Because we all seem to really prize the monitor. Well, if you think about anytime you see footage of Wall Street trading floors, like now it's just these rows of desks and people have three or four monitors in front of them. Mm -hmm. They're kind of on an angle. So they they turn on an angle to look at their monitor wall. And if they turn a little bit a different way, then they can see the person who's in the cubicle across from them. Or they can sort of walk around or they just get up and talk. So they are standing up a lot and talking over the monitors. Right. I mean, it, it's yeah. not impossible. I'm just yeah, saying just be very that, different than what we do now. Yeah. Where mm-hmm. we get on our little Slack and Zoom and things like that. And Yeah. But Well, we're very much looking forward to it. So we are. We will have lots to talk about on our next podcast. And I think that nicely brings us around to an end point here. So Sounds good. We can wrap this up. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Have a good day. Thank you.